On October 1st, 2017, 22,000 country music fans were enjoying country singer Jason Aldean during the closing performance of the Route 91 Harvest Festival, The Unthinkable Happen. The festive night was interrupted by the staccato of gunfire as the subject of this attack rained down bullets into the festival. For 10 minutes, the perpetrator of the deadliest mass shooting fired a thousand rounds of ammunition from the 32nd floor. In the chaos, concertgoers took action, making makeshift tourniquets out of belts and transporting patients to the local hospitals in privately owned vehicles. Their quick action assisted first responders and saved lives. For the fourth podcast in our series, we will explore resiliency when a critical incident such as the Route 91 shooting occurs. Hi, I am Travis Price, and thank you for joining us. When the gunman opened fire during the Route 91 shooting, which took place on October 1st, 2017, leaders emerged not only from elected officials and first responders, but also from concert attendees. When a critical incident like Route 91 occurs, how does a community return to normal and what do our leaders do to help that community? The focus of this podcast will be on the leadership and its impact on community resilience. The Rockefeller Foundation defines community resilience as the capacity of individuals, communities, institutions, business, and systems in a city to survive, adapt, and grow no matter what kinds of chronic stresses and acute shocks they may experience. During this podcast, we will focus on how communities and individuals respond to traumatic events such as the Route 91 shooting and how they can recover. We will also explore resilience as a proactive state of mind where everyday people take responsibility for their safety and their loved ones and their community. When we experience a traumatic incident such as the Route 91 shooting, the wounds, whether physical, mental, or emotional, take a long time to heal. While very painful, physical wounds can be seen and the human body will eventually generate scars. But how does an individual and community heal the emotional and mental wounds from these incidents? Focusing on this is just as important because emotional and mental wounds, when left unhealed, will fester long after physical wounds have healed, negatively impacting the survivors and the overall community. In the immediate aftermath of an incident like October 1st, communities often look towards their elected officials for solace and to guide them in the healing process. But where do these leaders learn their roles in helping the community be resilient and recover? This is what Mayor Carolyn Goodman shared with us. What a shock that was. Um, and I, I know we're limited in time, but I have to tell you, uh, when I took office in July of 2011, I came home, the city manager called and said, so here are the dates for our FEMA training. And uh, that's the Federal Emergency Management. And uh, she explained it to me at the time that 72 of us from Southern Nevada were going to Emmitsburg, Maryland for emergency management training. So I turned to my husband who had also gone and said, all I can tell you, Carolyn, it changed my life. You have to go. However, it's a horrible experience because it's the worst time of year in Maryland, mosquitoes, bugs. The, the school, they've taken over a college or a school. The beds are like rocks. There are no pillows. You're sharing the bathrooms. The food is inedible. Uh, and you're there for a week. So I said, well, then I'm not going. So, of course, I went. It was awesome. I can't even begin to tell you. And what it did for me um, that entire week, and it's a fabulous process. I could give you a whole program on what we did there. Our leader, Carolyn Levering, who's the head of our emergency management here in the city, had chosen for us to deal with terrorism as it would come and attack uh, Las Vegas. 
the experience when we got to the last two days was so real, I can't even begin to tell you. But it was like a pyramid. And everybody, there's 72 people that were in attendance, all in different parts of the piece of this pyramid, were instructed that your role is going to be here in this spot. My role as mayor is the communicator to the public. Being a leader means being ready to respond at any hour. Mayor Goodman shares where she was that night of October 1st. It was uh, certainly at 10 o'clock at night. I was not only in bed, I was fast asleep. And my cell phone rang. And it was our public information head director, David Riggleman, who had been there also with me in my role, because his role is public information. And he said, Mayor, there's been a shooting. We don't know how many people, how many locations. I mean, it was deja vu. I was just right there. I got out of bed. I was out of bed and dressed in probably six minutes. And he said he was then calling the next person that was on his list. We'd all been trained what you do. Immediately, my brain from fast to sleep was absolutely spot on. All right, get dressed, get ready, get that booklet and wait. You're going to get a call and it's going to tell you whether to go to this location or that one. Unfortunately, October 1st thrusted Mayor Goodman into her role as a communicator and healer. In her own words, the mayor describes what she did to support her community that night. And being the impatient soul that I am, and Las Vegas is so dear to my heart and the people, it's like my children, and I'm sitting there and there's no phone call. It's like this, the first phone call came in, I'm going to say, probably around 1020, and the carnage, of course, had already was out. And I just said, I can't sit here anymore because my husband woke up too. And so what happened? I said, I don't know. We don't know where it's coming from, how many people are involved, whether it's terrorism or what it is. I called the sheriff, who, of course, um, I have his cell phone. I couldn't wait. And I said, Sheriff Samir, um, I'm a block and a half away from UMC medical trauma. Can I go there or do you want me to do something else? He said, go ahead. That was it. And so my marshal took me over to UMC and wow, it was just, I can't, it was like it was an hour ago. I see it. I see the people. I see the ambulances. I see the flatbeds. I see the vehicles. I hear the screaming. And uh, Mason Van Howling was then there. C, um, CFO, CEO, and uh, we also at some point went over to Valley's emergency. And then it was just trying to talk to people to help. As the mayor mentioned, the community of Las Vegas was incredible following the October 1st shooting. This is an important point to consider. While we often look towards our elected officials to lead us after these cries, the community also plays an informal leadership role in recovering and achieving resilience. Here's Mayor Goodman discussing the Healing Garden. And then, of course, the miracle of our magnificent healing garden, because everybody felt they had to touch something. You have this need to do something. Don't tell me I can't do something. I don't care what I'm doing. And so out of Jay Bleegan Fuel and his, um, his small team building that gorgeous healing garden, it has such significance. And that's why on the eaves, on the memorials that we have done these past two years. It's not about people speaking and doing anything. It's just about those people we lost. 
all their extended friends and families and being there. And then of course, I don't know if I brought it in here, but I remember when we opened the garden, I took to the microphone to thank everybody and talk about those that we lost and even employee here from the city, a youngster who was in our legal department, uh, the wife of one of our parks and rec, uh, no, uh, uh, maintenance and operations, his wife was shot. She's probably since then had had 25, 30 operations. She still struggles. But to be able to talk and thank people and talk about the significance of the garden. And as I was speaking and I was facing west, over the mountains, over Red Rock, it was almost like a, dre- a, a jet trail that came up. And I stopped and I said, please, everybody, please stand up and turn around and look at the mountains. And there was this <sighs> gasp from everybody. Mayor Goodman highlights how important the healing garden was for survivors as well as anybody touched by October 1st to have a place to face the pain of that night and begin the process of healing. But it wasn't just Mayor Goodman's leadership that led to this healing. Mayor Goodman shows how the community was a key part of the recovery. It was incredible. You just knew their souls were in a better place and that we were doing the right thing with this garden of healing and hope and compassion, which came out of that. And it stands so sanctified and pure because we never do anything to destroy that memory and that moment because out of it it came people came all races religions everybody everybody that whether they were visiting just came to help build that garden and over a four-day period over 400 people worked 24 hours to build that beautiful garden Listening to the mayor, we can see how her role as a communicator and the survivor's role in building the healing gardens gave the survivors and the community a physical location they could visit to address the grief they felt. Resilience after a critical incident is also about mentally strengthening the community. Sadly, time and a time, we see on social media a hashtag followed by the latest city or community impacted by tragedy in the word strong. But for those survivors in the community, these hashtagged phrases represent the strength of the community to overcome the tragedy. Metropolitan Police Captain Dory Corin spoke to this when he sat down with us. So community resilience, in my opinion, I think a cornerstone of that is this concept of maintaining a positive attitude or cultivating optimism. I think that in of itself allows for people to be resilient and communities to be resilient. In emergency management, that's a big concept, right, is how do you establish resiliency and if you think about comparing it to one of you know, the worst mass shootings in modern history, which was one October that we faced as a community here locally, at the end of the day, ask yourself, how did we overcome? Because there's no doubt that we did. As a, as a community, we quickly showed resilience and our economy swung back into full motion and the community came together. Captain Corrin touched a key point when talking to us, optimism. Optimism speaks to the mindset survivors have. Having an optimistic mindset is part of the community resilience because with optimism, a community knows that it will recover. Captain Corrin shared more with us about optimism and having a positive attitude. The community came together, and if you ask yourself, how did that happen? How could we replicate that? And what, to me, what I noticed is that we 
there was really a couple pieces, but one was that in the face of adversity, maintaining a positive attitude. And that's the Vegas strong mentality that, that came out and everyone basically, instead of indicating defeat, is, is people organically took it upon themselves to do two things, create a brand that unifies us, which was this Vegas strong uh, concept, but then also this brand that unifies us with an optimistic vision. And that was the Vegas strong you know, perspective. And so I think that in of itself shows us how valuable it is to create a sense of unity that's uh, based on optimism and to continue to cultivate that optimism, just to bring that community together to help each other out. So I think that's definitely one aspect of community resilience. American poet Maya Angelou once said, I can be dragged by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. As Mayor Goodman and Captain Corn highlighted, embracing the healing process such as the healing garden, finding strength, and optimism through unifying statements such as Vegas Strong are key to helping a community recover from a critical incident, tragedy, or even an economic downturn. But this healing occurs after an incident. What if we as a community can be prepared before something happens? We will address that next. As we discussed at the beginning of our podcast, the music fans at the Route 91 Music Festival faced the unthinkable when the subject fired over 1,100 rounds into the concert venue. But was this act of violence truly unthinkable? The Federal Bureau of Investigation, or the FBI, defines an active shooter as one or more individuals actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. The FBI, as well as the Texas State University, which runs the Advanced Law Enforcement Rapid Response Team, or ALERT Center, have conducted significant analysis of active shooter incidents in the United States. From the analysis, the FBI and ALERT identified 277 active shooter incidents in the United States between 2000 and 2018. Of those 277 incidents, the three incidents with the highest casualties were Route 91 Harvest Festival with 58 killed and 489 wounded, the Pulse nightclub shooting with 49 killed and 53 wounded, and the Cinemark Century 16 movie theater shooting with 12 killed and 58 wounded. All of these events occurred in public places where the victims attended fun events not expecting an active shooter. While an active shooter incident at schools quickly grabbed the attention of the public, the data from FBI and ALERT indicate that over an 18-year period, more incidents occurred in the commerce area, 121 or 44% than any other location, followed by educational environments at 57 or 21%. In 2000, one active shooter occurred which met the FBI definition for the incident. Each year, the amount of incidents have grown. We share this data not to scare you, the listener, but to highlight that the active shooters are not an unthinkable event. In our previous segment, we discussed community resilience after a critical incident, how the Las Vegas community and Route 91 survivors came together to begin the healing and turn the wounds into scars. But community resilience also means many things based on your personal and professional life. Here we have Carolyn Lever, Emergency Management Administrator for the City of Las Vegas Office of Emergency Management, share what she thinks resiliency means. Resiliency is a great buzzword, right? It gets tossed around a lot and it means different things to different people. From a family perspective, you know, as, as, as a mother, as a wife, from, from a family viewpoint, I have one idea of what resilience means. From an emergency manager standpoint, responsible for a city of 650,000 people, that's a whole different kind of resilience we're talking about. And resilience is not a post-disaster thing. Resilience is built up in advance of an emergency. And it and it's a reflection of how stable your community is 
prior to the event. Carolyn's words drive home the point that community resilience is not just something that is important in the wake of a public crisis or disaster, but it's something that needs to be built up over time. Again, here's Carolyn discussing community resilience prior to the emergency, in this case, the current COVID-19 pandemic. So how stable was our community prior to this long-term drawn-out emergency known as COVID-19? Well, considering the fact that we experienced job loss in an eight-month period that took 18 months to occur during the Great Recession in 2009. So we lost as many jobs in eight months as we had in 18 months, but we're already rebounding. So we're finding that as rapid a drop as we had, we're getting an almost equally rapid rebound in comparison to the rebound that it required for the Great Recession. It's showing us that our economy is more resilient than we even imagined. Um, We've been working on economic diversification for a long, long time. We're still not there, but it shows that the things that we have had in place have, have helped. Listening to Carolyn allude to planning for a critical incident, the question is how successful has that planning been for community resilience? But it's working together to make sure that we can do it safely and effectively so that we can weather this pandemic, I think is um, a real shout out to how resilient we were before COVID started and how we're continuing to maintain that resilience through this process. But it's not by accident. This is all by conscientious effort. This is all directed towards the same goal, which is to bring our community out of this uh, with as little damage as possible and getting families back to work and back to school and uh, back to a pattern of living that uh, can continue to contribute to long-term success. In some respect, being resilient as a community means resilient as an individual, and that means being prepared when a disaster or critical incident strikes. In Unthinkable, Who Survives When Disaster Strikes and Why? Amanda Ripley discusses the mindset necessary to survive a disaster. This touches on something Captain Corn shared with us. The second aspect is some level of shared responsibility. Whether you're an individual, a business owner, a large you know, subset of a, the community, if you expect somebody else to come in and solve your problem, then then there's no resiliency there. You know, you're not going to survive with all the challenges that, that we face individually and as a whole. So I think that some expectations that you're going to have to help be part of that cultivation of optimism and part of that cultivation of resiliency is a, an important aspect as well. Captain Korn highlights the individual responsibility of community members to be resilient, but that does not mean they have to do it alone. The private and nonprofit sectors can often be allies to local government in helping equip local community members with skills to build community and personal resilience. A great example of this is the Ma Museum in downtown Las Vegas, which has offered monthly community safety lectures open to the public on everything from self-defense tips and active shooter preparedness to home safety and emergency management. Here, the Ma Museum president and CEO, Jonathan Ullman, discusses why the museum provides these lectures. We love the community safety forums. They've been around, you know, we've been doing them since, I want to say, 2016. We've been very fortunate, I have to say, and the energy has sponsored these programs. And they've been very generous to us, which not only helps us get them, you know, create the programs and promote them, but one of the kind of key aspects of this has been, uh, we've also, you know, viewed it as, this is really about 
our commitment to community, which is one of our core values, as well as one of the specific tenets under our mission that is about addressing contemporary topics, you know, things that you know are really relevant in people's day-to-day lives. I mean, I think there's, you know, when you think about a, a museum that's largely about history, you can always apply lessons of the past, and uh, but it's not quite as concrete as some of the things we address. Community safety forums is us at our most practical in terms of, you know, finding ways to be relevant to members of the community. Jonathan's effort to speak to the multifaceted approach he has taken to have the Ma Museum not only be an entertainment venue, but also a way to educate the community he loves. He also realizes how the museum can bridge the gap between the public and first responders, providing a level of access the community may not enjoy. We often forget because of perhaps the access that we have through our jobs, you know, or through perhaps, you know, being a member of the university, you know, you, you probably are in a similar situation. It's not unusual for me to interact with members of law enforcement. I mean, it happens every day. But for a lot of people out in the community, they don't get an opportunity to just, you know, talk with and ask questions of someone in law enforcement. So even when you, you know, you think about a program like this, even if you just distill it down to having an active member of law enforcement, some branch of law enforcement, someone with a particular you know, expertise, and you can just come in a room and you know, not just listen to that person present, but fire off some questions or afterwards ask for some advice about something. I mean, that's a pretty you know, useful and powerful uh, you know, service to be providing. As we saw with the Route 91 shooting, a city like Las Vegas, so heavily dependent on tourism sector for jobs and economic stability and development, not only has to worry about the safety and security of its residents, but also its tourists. In building community resilience, therefore, city leaders also have to take into account this transient population of visitors. Here again is Jonathan Ullman talking about tourist safety in the wake of the October 1st shooting and other future emergencies. Before 1 October, it was, you know, the concern was people driving up on the sidewalks where people are walking around. You know, there was that whole, you know, people don't, you know, remember these things necessarily, but there was, you know, this huge bollard project that was undertaken to try to address you know, the, the possibility of that happening again, and not just being accidental, but being some type of a terrorist uh, attack. And again, you, you can't necessarily anticipate what specifically that emergency might be, but, you know, there's certainly commonalities. You know, after 1 October, there were all sorts of uh, people who were effectively displaced here, right? They couldn't leave them immediately. They didn't necessarily come to Las Vegas with all of the funds or all of the you know, clothing or supplies for an extended stay. You know, you pack for a weekend getaway and then for one reason or another, because maybe somebody that's with you is in, you know, is getting medical care, um, you all of a sudden have to stay for, you know, an entire week or maybe two weeks. You know, are there things that we could be doing as a community to set up um, an organization that, that addresses, you know, tourist it's, I mean, it's almost like a safety net for the, you know, for the tourists. I don't know who does that right now. Jonathan's insight about the whole role of entertainment venues, such as the Mom Museum and their dual use ability to entertain and inform, illustrates that community resilience comes from all aspects of community, where government and private sectors engage the public as stakeholders. 
The idea of inclusivity is touched on by Tom Perigo, Chief Operations and Development and Chief Sustainability Officer for the City of Las Vegas. One of the things uh, working with a few friends of mine that we that we realize is if we are truly going to create a resilient community or a sustainable community, we had to be far more inclusive than just what we were doing in the public sector or within our own organizations. What really was most effective was um, creating a network of community leaders whose missions aligned within their organizations that really expanded what we were doing as a community. Tom's message of an all-encompassing concept that everybody, every corporation, every government agency within a city is connected. Tom expanded on this in discussing the protective web these partnerships provide the city of Las Vegas. We sort of have a little bit of an advantage here that our major industries, the resort industry is very sophisticated. Each of those organizations, each of those hotels is like its own little city. They have people who are some of the best, most knowledgeable professionals in the world who sort of manage their emergency response and emergency management programs. And they work very closely with all of the emergency management programs of the local government. So Again, it, it, it's sort of this web that we have across the city that connects all these different uh, public agencies and all these private major employers and, and major centers where our, our tourist population would be that we, we work really well together. So, again, in, in, in my mind, that's really the best thing we can do is make sure we have that, that, that framework and, and we're working closely together. And I think that most cities are the same way. The, the major employers, they, they have experts in their organizations that, that are part of that web that, that sort of cast, cast the net over the entire city to, to protect the city and to be able to respond quickly to, to big uh, emergencies. October 1st was the worst mass shooting in the U.S., but as FBI data indicates, it may not be the last. As our guests have shared, a resilient community before and after an emergency incident is one in which responsible government agency teams with the private sector, nonprofits, and community members to develop and sustain the ability to prepare and recover. Whether it be an active shooter incident or the current COVID-19 pandemic, a united community focused on the welfare of all determines on how community will respond and recover. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast focused on community resilience. This podcast was a collaborative master's project for the University of Nevada, Las Vegas' Master of Science Emergency and Crisis Management Program, which is a program offered within the Department of Criminal Justice at UNLV's Greenspun College of Urban Affairs. Those collaborating candidates for this project were Kelly Anderson Del Bello, John Creighton, Calix Lewis, David Parnell, and myself, Travis Price. We would like to thank the guests of our podcast, Mayor Carolyn Goodman, Captain Dory Corrin, Carolyn Levering, Jonathan Ullman, and Tom Perigo. All of our guests took time out of their busy schedules, which are devoted to serving and protecting the citizens of Las Vegas to speak with us. And we are incredibly appreciative of the insights they provided us. Last but not least, we would like to thank Dr. Joel Lieberman and the University of Las Vegas for the opportunity to bring this podcast to you. If you would like to know more about community resilience and how you can prepare yourself and your family, we suggest you visit the following sites. For general disaster preparedness, please visit www.ready.gov. Again, that is www.ready.gov. For disaster and emergency preparedness in Las Vegas and Nevada, please visit www.lasvegasnevada.gov. 